Amen. So we're going to take a little detour from our, our normal verse-by-verse -verse study going through the book of Acts. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit this morning, and we're going to read Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he says, verse 9, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descended to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter was wondering within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore. Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. When you're reading through the Old Testament, if you, if you read through the Old Testament, eventually you come to Leviticus chapter 21, verses 16 through 24. And this section of Scripture in Leviticus basically lays out the things that disqualified the sons of Aaron from serving as a priest. And, and they were physical impairments, things like being blind, being lame, uh, having a flat nose or a marred face. You know, if you had a limb that was too long, right, longer than the other, uh, that would disqualify you. If you'd, or you would be disqualified if you had a broken foot or a broken hand. Uh, you couldn't have any defects in your eyes. You, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't be able to serve as a priest if you were a hunchback or a dwarf. Uh, you couldn't have scabby or crusty skin. You couldn't serve as a priest if you were a eunuch, right? And as you study through Leviticus, uh, 21 verses 16 through 24. Uh, and every other section of scripture, you need to be aware of a very important principle of biblical interpretation. If you don't understand this very important principle, the whole Bible, uh, but specifically the Old Testament, is going to be very confusing. And, uh, you know, it's not going to make any sense. And, and it will be boring. And the principle is this, right? The Old Testament, it deals with the physical and material. Whereas, you know, it, it, the New Testament deals with principles, right? Deals with the spiritual and eternal. The Old Testament sets forth illusions of what the New Testament is going to interpret, right? The Old Testament is a picture book of New Testament principles, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 
1 through 4, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and into the sea, all ate of the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. He goes on to say in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, he goes on to say, now these things became examples. And Paul continues in verse 11 saying, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And what Paul is saying is that the Old Testament is filled with types, it's filled with illusions, it's filled with uh, examples and pictures for us to learn from. And I find that particularly interesting because it's the same thing God says in two very important Old Testament passages. Amos 3.7 is a key verse for us, right? It's given to us so that we can know what's biblical truth and what's not. It says, the Lord says in Amos 3.7, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to the servants, the prophets, right? Uh, another key verse is Hosea 12.10. In it, the Lord says, I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions. I've given symbols. Uh, King James says similitudes, substitutes similitudes for symbols. It's the same thing, basically. It's a type. I've given symbols through the witness of the old prophets. God is going to do nothing that he hasn't already revealed to us through the prophets. And many of those revelations come to us in the form of types, pictures, and symbols. And the point I want to make is this. When I last studied through Leviticus 21, 16 through 24, I saw how disqualified I am for ministry, right? I don't mean that, you know, I have a flat nose or, you know, scabby skin. You know, I don't have a leg that's longer than the other, anything like that. You know, I don't have a broken foot. Uh, you know, but what they represent to us today, what those things represent to us today, what they represent in New Testament principles makes me disqualified for ministry, right? But the good news is, as we look at Jesus and realize that he's perfectly qualified for priestly service, yet he became disqualified. He became sin so that he could make me, make us, qualified for service in him, right? For me, it's a beautiful reminder of how in Christ I live and move and have my being. And the truth is, in this last week, it was, again, painfully obvious. You know what? I'm not the man that I want to be. You know, but being confident of this very thing, he who's begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of, of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, my Lord, became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Not that I have already attained 
or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me, right? I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Failure after failure, so many failures, they would choke a horse. Forgetting those things which are behind me now, right? And reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Leviticus 21, 16 through 24 is a reminder to me that my sins, my colossal failures as a husband, my overwhelming failures as a father, and most of all, my embarrassing shortcomings as a Christian, they're all forgiven. They're forgiven. And I can't let condemnation and guilt stop me from going for it with Jesus. I need to press on. I need to press on towards that goal, towards that prize, right? Which is Jesus. In light of these types of truths and struggles, that I think are probably in all of our lives, I think it's a common question for people to, to question the faith. They come to a place where they question God, especially during difficult times. Questions that can weigh heavily upon us. You know, questions that wear us down over time. Questions like, how do we really know? Right? How do we really know the Bible is true? I mean, you know what? Good things happen to bad people all the time, while at the same time, bad things are happening to good people, right? People who are trying to live right before God. So how does it all work? I mean, every religion, every cult believes they're right. You know, these are the very same questions that Habakkuk had, right? as well as Asaph. Asaph lays out almost the exact same questions in Psalm 73. And these questions can be intensified when we get our eyes off the Lord, and especially if we get our eyes on someone, especially a pastor. You know, because pastors and everybody else, they're going to let us down. It's only Jesus that will never let us down. You know, we discover as we get our eyes on people, they're actually no better than anyone else. And in my case, I'm, I'm no better than anyone at all, right? In fact, you know, I'm probably worse off than everyone else. I have a desperate need for a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. Well, I think these questions are common to every believer, like I said, at some point, And they need to be dealt with. So how do we deal with them, right? Well, here are a few questions I'd like to pose to you. Do you believe the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God? Do you believe, do you really believe that there's a God in heaven who knows your heart, right? That hears your prayers, that sees your situations, that has a plan for your life. Do you really believe there's a God who says to you, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, 
to give you a future and a hope. Do you believe that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent? Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Do you believe, in other words, do you think God is just talking and he doesn't really mean it when he says that I have loved you with an everlasting love? Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Is God just speaking out of the side of his mouth when he says that he'll keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him? You know, was God just joking around when he said, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The question, I think, is what do you believe? What do you believe? Do you really believe the Bible is indeed the very word and revelation of God? Right? If you truly are a believer, if you uh, truly are born again, you may have questions, and those questions may nag at you. But in your heart of hearts, you know that the Bible is the Word of God, and you know that what it says is, in fact, 100% truth. You might be thinking to yourself right now, what in the world is Gary going on about this morning? Oh, my goodness, he's even worse than most mornings. You know, what does it have to do with Leviticus 21 or Acts chapter 10. You know, I bring it up because this is a needed foundation for what I think uh, God would speak to us today. This is the needed foundation for us to receive God's heart uh, for us today. I believe that God has us right in the Bible. We're in Acts chapter 10. I believe he has us right in the Bible where he wants us to be as a fellowship. Leviticus 21 speaks to us about um, the need for vision. A priest was unable to serve as a priest if he was blind. And in the Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle, it speaks to us for our need for vision, right? And here in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter receives vision. It's an important topic, I think. And I pray that God would speak to our hearts this morning about uh, vision. I believe that God wants to give each of us vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The King James Version says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, the Hebrew word translated in the New King James uh, Revelation is better translated, the way it's translated in the King James Version, vision. But revelation is good too. Uh, the word translated cast off restraint in the New King James is better than the word perish in the King James Version. The, the Hebrew word is, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but it's pada. It's spelled like para, but it's pronounced something like para. 
right? And it means to cast off restraint. That word paints a picture for us of a chicken running around with its head cut off. It's running around aimlessly. It's, it's accomplishing nothing. It's basically just wandering at a high rate of speed without any purpose or direction. Throughout the Bible, when God wants to do a new work or when he wants to do something big, he frequently precedes that work by giving a man or giving a woman vision. Abraham received the vision that God, uh, from God that he would inherit the land. And God told Abraham, Genesis 15, to get a three-year-old heifer, get a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old uh, ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon, right? And he was to cut the heifer and the goat and the ram in two. He was to lay them out. And when the sun had went down, Abraham, he fell asleep. And then the Lord passed through the, the two halves of the animals, right? Signifying his promise rested upon himself alone. He alone would be responsible to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt, bringing them back into the land, and it would be theirs forever. It was a one-sided agreement. And you'll remember that Moses had a vision, seeing the burning bush. You know, it caught his attention because the bush, the bush was totally on fire, and yet it wasn't consumed, right? And God spoke from the burning bush, telling Moses that he would use him to deliver the nation of Israel. Later on, we're going to read in Acts chapter 16, when God wanted the gospel to go into Europe, right? He gave a vision to Paul. And that vision was of the Macedonian man saying to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And again, here in Acts 10, God gives vision to Peter because he's about to do a great work. He's about to extend the gospel to the Gentiles. I believe God wants to give us vision. I believe that he wants to give us vision for our lives, for our families, and for ministry. And in these 12 verses of Acts chapter 10, I think we see three key things that God uses to impart vision to us. But before these things can be used by God in our life, we first must believe. We must fully believe what it says in Hebrews eleven six, And what it says in Hebrews eleven six, there's a slide for that, Brian, says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, if that describes you, your heart, and you fully believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, then, and only then, can God use these three key things in your life to impart vision to you. The first one we see is in Acts 10, verse 9. It's preparation for vision. It says, Acts 10, verse 9, The next day as they went up, uh, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. 
about the sixth hour. In those days, and even today in Israel, the housetops, you know, they're, they're flat. And many people, if not all of them, have something like an awning uh, on the top of the housetop for shade. And there's a stairway that goes uh, alongside one of the walls to get up onto the roof. It was a place to get away. It was a quiet place. Yeah. And while uh, everyone else was busy preparing lunch, we see Peter getting away to pray. He gets away. He's finding someplace quiet, someplace where he can quiet his heart, where he can enjoy quiet time with the Lord. It actually reminds me of uh, the story in John. Remember Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus said that she had chosen the better part. How valuable is it to get away, to sit at Jesus' feet, to just get to a quiet place where you can quiet your heart and have quiet time with the Lord? I mean, what value do you place on spending time quietly waiting on the Lord? We have to see that it's in that place. That's where Peter receives vision. How often do I, do you, do we run around like chickens with our heads cut off, not knowing what to do next? Which, which way do I go? What do I do? Uh, all because we don't find a quiet place to get away, a place where we can just quiet our hearts, a place where we can just enjoy quiet time from, with the Lord, just him and, him and me, you and him, and hear from him. In Isaiah 30, the nation of Israel is surrounded by their enemies, the Assyrians. And uh, I think it's fair to say to describe them as in a panic. They didn't know what to do, right? So what would you do in that case? Well, they sent and asked Egypt for help. And then Isaiah the prophet comes along and he says, Isaiah 30, verse 1. He says, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And the Lord continues in verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall you be strengthened, but you would not. The Lord rebuked Israel because they sought help from Egypt, a type or a picture of the world, instead of quietly seeking him. How often do you run to a friend for advice when you're faced with a difficult situation? Instead of just quietly sitting at the feet of Jesus, seeking to, to hear his heart in regards to your situation. The answer to every problem that we're going to ever run across is run to the Lord, right? Get up to the housetop. Get away to a quiet place where you can quiet your heart and seek to hear his voice. I know it's true for me, and it may be true for you too, but too often I think we can find ourselves thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do, right? And then, you know what? I come up with a plan, 
before you come up with a plan in that state. And, uh, you know, in the panic, in the midst of the panic, you decide the course of action that's needed. Or you go to a friend and ask them for advice or even help. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The Lord desires us as his followers to look to him. The God of heaven desires us to seek him and to run to Jesus. Our strength will be found in quiet confidence in the Lord. Returning and resting in him is where the answers and deliverance is going to come from. The first key thing is preparation for vision. To get away to a quiet place. To quiet your heart. To enjoy quiet time with the Lord. And the second thing that's key is illumination of vision. Acts 10 verse 10 says, Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound by the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were, filled, uh, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the uh, earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a, vo a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. In Leviticus 11, God gave the Jews instructions regarding what they could and they couldn't eat. In Peter's vision, he sees uh, all kinds of animals, all kinds of bugs, creepy things, it says, creeping things, it says, and all kinds of birds, clean and unclean. And a voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I find it interesting. I don't know if you do, but I find it interesting that God uses food in the vision. Because it says in verse 10 that Peter was very hungry and wanted to eat, right? Peter goes up to the housetop to find a quiet place. He goes up there to quiet his heart before the Lord. He goes up there so that he can just enjoy some quiet time with the Lord. And it may have been that Peter was having a hard time focusing because he was so very hungry and he couldn't stop thinking about food i mean do you ever have a hard time of focusing when you're trying to get away with the lord it seems that peter did right and i think that this is an important detail to notice because god doesn't tell peter will you please just stop thinking about your belly and just focus will you just listen God doesn't lash out at Peter. He doesn't say, that's it, I've had enough. No, God isn't mad at Peter at all. God knows Peter's human. But God is willing to meet Peter where he is. It's like God says, okay, Peter, you're hungry. I'm going to use that to show you my heart. I'm going to show you through that what I'm planning to do. God is willing to meet us where we're at. And I'm convinced that God wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to us through everyday things. Right? He's willing to use everyday things to teach us, to give us vision, to illuminate the vision for us. God was showing Peter through his circumstances what it is that he wanted to do. What's going on in your life? What's going on? What's happening in your home? You know, what's going on at work? You know, what are you feeling as you 
walk through the grocery store? What are you thinking as you're just walking through the neighborhood? You know, I believe very strongly that God is wanting to show us his heart, trying to impart vision to us, trying to, you know, illuminate the vision for us through everyday things. The question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? When Tina and I were dating, you know, we used to like to spend a lot of time at the beach. And uh, we used to go to this island in Newport Harbor. It's called Balboa Island. It had a sidewalk uh, pretty much all around the island between the houses and uh, the, the beach, right? And every house there has a huge window. It's looking out over the harbor, opening up the house to the view. And uh, one evening while we were walking around the island, we were holding hands, and we noticed just this blue light in every single home. And, and we saw people in their homes, sitting on their couch with just a blank stare on their face. And you know, it was the strangest thing. And we realized what they were doing is they were watching TV. They were watching TV. We found ourselves laughing at the sight because it seemed like everyone was just dazed. They were just mesmerized in their homes, staring at a box, projecting blue light on them. People often wonder why they don't have vision from God. And the answer is, they're not finding a quiet place, quieting their heart, seeking quiet time with the Lord. And they're not listening for the Lord in their daily lives. But they're allowing things like the television to steal vision from them. They're not paying attention, right? The television steals vision. Instagram steals vision and robs you of time. Facebook steals vision and robs you of time. Social media of every sort steals vision and robs you of time. And listen, I get it. You know, at the end of a hectic day, you're spent. You know, you've had enough. You want to come home. You just want to relax. You just want to shut down. You know, you want to turn the world off and you just want to sit and you want to be entertained by the blue glow. You know, it's so very important. We need to guard against the idea that the Lord can only give us vision at church on a Sunday or on a Tuesday morning at a men's Bible study or on a Thursday morning at a ladies' study. I believe the Lord wants to impart vision to us throughout the week. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us even more than we want him to speak to us. Right? But we need to be prepared to receive the vision. He can give you vision at any time if you're listening, if you're alert, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, ready to receive, if you're paying attention to him and not shutting down, not mindlessly checking out in front of the TV or wasting hours on social media. Part of listening to what God is saying through our circumstance involves yielding to the vision that he's giving. There's another man in the Bible that God spoke to about taking his word to the Gentiles. 
His name was Jonah, right? He was in Joppa, just like Peter in Acts chapter 10, right? And he sought to get away from what God was calling him to do. So he found a boat heading down to Tarshish. Keep your finger here in Acts 10 and turn to a Jonah, okay? If you turn to the middle of your Bible, you hit uh, Psalms. You turn to the right, Daniel, the last major prophet. And then five more books is the book of Jonah. And Jonah 1, 3 through 5, you read, if you're there, Jonah 1, 3 through 5 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord, from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And then verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea, so to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and lain down, and was fast asleep. Notice that it says, verse 3, that Jonah went down to Joppa. And then in the same verse, it says he went down into the boat. And then in verse 5, tells us that he went down into the lowest part of the ship, and then he laid down. The Bible tells us very plainly, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. God is is if God is revealing something to you, don't fight it. Don't seek to get away from it. Surrender to it. Yield to it. God's ways are the best ways. And if you reject God's ways, you'll find yourself in a downward spiral, just like Jonah, going down, 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 down. Rejecting God's ways caused Jonah a lot of discomfort and distress. He could have avoided it. Part of the vision God wants for us requires an emptying of ourselves, right? And it, as I said, uh, it's painful sometimes. He wants to mold us into his image. And it can be difficult to hear some of the areas that we fall short in. And it can be a fearful thing to us when, when God shows us what he wants to do. But listening to him, receiving his heart, embracing his plan, and yielding yourself to him completely, it's always the best thing for us. I'm saying this because God may have been illuminating for you through your circumstances something he wants to do in you. And it's painful, right? It hurts to see those things that he's showing you about yourself. But we can trust him because he loves you with an everlasting love that's beyond our comprehension. The Lord has and is showing me many, many things about me that's not pleasing to him. And honestly, it hurts. It really hurts. It, it hurts bad. I don't want those things to be true about me. 
but they seem to be true. Yet if I truly believe that God the Father is good and is loving, and I do believe that, then I don't need to fear yielding myself to him, allowing him to work the change he wants to work in me. I don't need to fear because perfect love casts out all fear, and he loves us perfectly. So the three keys, the three key things, they are preparation for vision, illumination of vision, and finally, confirmation of vision. Acts 10, 17, 19, if you turn back there, Acts 10, verse 17 through 19 says, Now why Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. While Peter was wondering about the, what this vision meant, three guys that Cornelius had sent were knocking at the door. It was confirmation that what Peter saw and heard was actually from God. Whenever God gives you a vision, it will always be confirmed by a knocking on the door, so to speak. God's primary method of seeking to us is through the word during our quiet time. But there are times when God speaks to us through the circumstances. And sometimes we'll get this random thought in our heads and we'll just wonder, was that God? And we can rest assured if it was him, he will confirm that. In Jeremiah 32, you might turn there. Jeremiah 32, God told Jeremiah to buy a field. And it's comforting to me that even the prophet Jeremiah wasn't sure if the Lord was speaking to him or not. Or not. So again, flip over to Jeremiah. It's the, the uh, Jeremiah Lamentations, Ezekiel, then Daniel. Jeremiah verse, or chapter 32. We're going to read from that chapter. Verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. And then Jeremiah says, and Then I knew that was the word of the Lord. Even the most anointed man or woman can wonder at times, Man, is that God speaking? Or is that just the chili cheeseburger I ate last night? One of the worst things we can do as believers is to get out in front of the Lord, right? God had revealed to Abraham that he was going to give him a son. But after 13 years of waiting, Sarah and Abraham began to wonder, that, 
you know, was that really the Lord? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. And they begin to reason, hey, maybe the Lord just needs our help. You know, they reasoned it out in their own understanding that they needed to help the Lord out. And so Sarah said to Abraham, here's my idea. Why don't you go into Hagar and uh, have a son with her and we'll raise him up as our own. What a mess that turned out to be, right? Both then and today, right? If they only knew the mess that they were making, Israel is still dealing with the repercussions of that bad decision, all because they got out ahead of the Lord. God has a time, a preordained time for the fulfillment of the promised vision. We just need to trust in him and wait patiently on him. And he'll bring it about just as he said. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need your wisdom, right? God will open doors and fulfill his promise to us in his timing. If God has given you a vision, he'll confirm it and he'll bring it to pass in his perfect timing. And he'll open the door and he'll lead you through those doors. Moses understood that he was to be the deliverer of the nation of Israel. And he understood that he would be the one who would lead them out of bondage. But he got out ahead of the Lord, trying to do it in his own timing and his own strength. And he ended up killing an Egyptian. And the very next day, he goes out to help two other guys. And one of them said to him, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian? Right? And Moses got scared. He ran away. And it took 40 years for God patiently working in Moses in order to make him into a usable vessel before God to, could bring about his intended deliverance for the nation. And it was only then, after the, that 40-year period, it was only then that the vision was imparted to Moses through the burning bush, right? And God confirmed that it was him. In fact, he confirmed it by saying, uh, hey, there's going to be a set of miracles. And the primary confirmation is that the children of Israel will come and worship God right here where you receive the vision. Years ago, I used to be a land surveyor. And I remember one day I was walking through the brush, going about my job. I was just walking uh, going to my next point, and I was praying. And all of a sudden, something caught my eye, and, it, and I froze. And it took me a minute to realize it, to see it. But there it was. It was a rattlesnake right before me. He was coiled up, and he was ready to strike if I took another step. When God gives us vision, and we just go for it, the enemy, the serpent of old, he can be there ready, just waiting to strike. God showed me a few years before we left Europe that our time was coming to end. Our ministry was coming to end in Europe. And frankly, tell you the truth, it was one of the hardest things I ever heard from the Lord. You know, we'd been there for years. We love Europe. Our kids were raised up. They grew up in Europe. Our daughter was married in Europe. But God showed me, that it was coming to an end. So we waited patiently on him, praying, 
for his will to be done, waiting for him to open the doors. And you know, the Lord even showed me beforehand uh, what those open doors were going to look like, what the circumstances would be when it was time to leave. And he brought it about exactly like he showed me. When the Lord gives us vision, we need to wait patiently, worshipfully, trusting that his timing is perfect, resting in him, knowing that he has a plan and that he'll bring that plan to pass his way. Are you desiring vision from the Lord today? You know, prepare for it. Get away to a quiet place. Get away to a place where you can quiet a heart, your heart. Get away to a place where you can just enjoy time, just you and the Lord alone. Be sensitive. Be listening. Be alert. Be watching for him to illuminate that vision. And finally, wait for confirmation. I believe if we will patiently seek the Lord in anticipation, imploring these three things in our lives, God will give us vision. I believe that with all my heart. And again, I believe with all my heart that the Lord desires to speak to each of us, to speak to you individually, to speak to me more than we desire him to speak to us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this encouragement found here in Acts chapter 10. And Lord, I pray you would give us ears to hear. Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Help us to understand, Lord, that our past disqualifies us for ministry. But in you, we're perfectly qualified because you took our sin and gave us your righteousness. Lord, we love you. And we desire to serve you. And we desire to hear and receive all that you wish to say to us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.